Hello, Imperfect listeners. It's your host, Luke West, back with another episode where we discuss masculine manhood more intentionally and purposefully. In this episode, we're talking about a very sensitive subject, domestic violence and abuse, and it does get pretty graphic at some point, so consider this your formal warning. In this episode, my guest is Sabrina Oso. Sabrina is a speaker and founder and CEO of Oso Safe, a company that consults on promoting safety and preventing violence in the workplace, schools, and in places of residence. In this episode, we primarily focus on places of residence with COVID and everything. Sabrina has long dealt with violence on a personal level. She knows how to uh, how difficult it is to live in such chaotic environments and sabrina and also safe want to make a positive impact in people's lives whether they're been being directly affected by violence or looking to help those who have friends or know people who have suffered from violence in this episode we discuss her own story why it's so hard for victims to leave the impact of pornography on this topic and how those who don't experience abuse can identify signs and be allies in this work um, so again if you like the episode please subscribe leave a review message me on instagram at the imperfect pod email me at luke at the imperfect pod.com uh, but now let's get into the episode Thank you, Imperfect listeners, for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm with Sabrina Oso. The first question I always ask my guests is, who is one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to have over for dinner, and what would you cook for them? Wow, dead or alive? I would say Oprah Winfrey. And what I would cook for her? Oh, I make a really good tiramisu. The, the dessert. I would I, I would make sure that that would be the finale to the meal. That that would be my choice. Perfect. I always love a good dessert. So anytime there's a dessert offered, I am a fan of that. But I really want to know a lot more about your story. I know that the work you do is critical to making the home office and school free of violence. This episode, I really want to hone in more on the at-home aspect with everything that's going on with COVID and, and the world. But I really want to understand what's your story with domestic violence and why were you interested in starting a company around that topic? Sure. Um, I really thank you for having me, Luke. Uh, it's a great opportunity. So I just wanted to say that right off the bat. I, after many years of therapy, and I'm still in and out of therapy, I could say that I am a victim of violence. My father beat my mother on a regular basis. So my childhood was very, it was violent, chaotic, dysfunctional, and abusive. I lived my life and I I realized, wow, my, my passion is dancing. And I could not even think about dancing when... When I was living in my home, there was no way. With everything that was going on, it, it was basically fighting a war in, in your own house every single day. So I had to put that aside. Then I, I moved out, and, and, and that's when I started dancing. I started to basically begin my life in a way. And I, I, I am a dancer. Acting comes pretty naturally to me, and... And also safe, my company started out as a one-woman show that I wrote, choreographed, performed in. And I it was entertaining and educational and informative. I, I made sure that I wanted it to be all those three 
all those three characteristics, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I could not believe the amount, the education, the statistics that I was finding. In the show, I play different women being abused. And then she goes to her good place. That's where the dancing comes in. But then she's pulled back into the terror of violence. But the show ends very well, very empowering. And when I was researching, I said, oh, my, these statistics are very, very alarming. Uh, And I didn't realize how common it was. Uh, I mean, I knew my story, but I didn't know how common it was. And I said, "I, I have to turn this into a business. I have to turn this into a service, just like anything else. So that way it actually gets resolved or at least begins to become resolved. And then, and my company was born basically, and, and I've been building it ever since. Yeah, no. And I think that's phenomenal. So was the dancing acting, uh, a coping mechanism that you used before really figuring out and going to therapy or how would you explain that where that passion came about? I always had it. I always had it. Even I can remember now in my childhood, I think I always tried to include dance or, but I had to suppress it. I had to suppress it. I had to not even put it on the back burner. I I couldn't even think about it. I was so, it was so miserable in my home that I I couldn't even think about it. That's the best way I could put it. And then I was free once I moved out. I was free to think and be and do how I pleased. And and I I love dance. It's in my DNA. It's in my it's in my blood. And I'm the only dancer in my family, really, from both sides. My mother and my father. I mean, neither one of them danced, and to my knowledge, neither one of them pursued it at all. So I'm the only performer, really, in in the family. And I and I I the therapy. I did that in college. I did not dance in college. I'm a diehard clubber. I used to club a lot in New York City, heavy, heavy duty. And I I just loved it. All the clubs that a lot of people are posting now from, from those days. I mean, it wasn't very long ago, but Limelight, Palladium, Club USA, Twilo, I went to all of them. And I felt like that's where I was born. That's where I was really born. And I just took the dance floor. I just exploded on that dance floor. I was so free. I experienced the freedom that I just never had. And my favorite type of music is techno. So uh, techno and house or tribal. And I was going to therapy. I still do, as I mentioned. And, And then I gathered enough money to really take class and be dedicated. I hopped around between Broadway Dance Center Steps and Alvin Ailey. It was basically catching up on a lot of lost time. And I'm curious, do you still have a relationship with your dad and your mom? Like, can you give me a little bit more detail there? And I know that he abused your mom. Did he ever abuse you? And do you have that relationship still? He did. He hit me once, but I witnessed him beat my mother countless times. I mean, it, it was just an ongoing Physically, verbally, I don't know if there was sex abuse going on. I think I was too young to know the truth, really. But 
Mm-hmm. Verbal and physical abuse was just a regular, it was just regular, very normal. And my father passed away three years ago. And my mother, I say to people when, when I get asked this question, she exists but very much unalive. She is very obese. She's very withdrawn, very depressed. And yeah, it it pains me a great deal. I've always tried to help her. I've always tried to, in in any way that I can. And with Also Safe, uh, I'm hoping that once I gain more momentum, I could really make a difference in her life. And it's just that she suffered such like decades of abuse that she really doesn't want to help herself and uh, yeah it pains me a great deal and you would think that after your abuser dies that you could start picking up the pieces or get your life together but it doesn't work out that way after so many years of abuse it's like your spirit your will is gone as well so yeah that's the current situation really with my parents and were they together until your dad died or did your mom get out from underneath that, that abuse in that cloud? No, they were married until my father's passing. She never left. And I, I mean, thinking back now, they were married in Italy and he was substantially older than her. So he, he was uh, 14 years older than her. So it's very easy to control someone when you're that much older. And mm-hmm. they came here from Italy at, right after getting married. And my mother basically was engaged at 16, married at 17, and had me at 18 years old. So she's basically a product of a child marriage, to put it in modern times. Back then, it was just common. Even now, it's common. I forgot what that statistic is, but there's an enormous amount of child marriage and it's just appalling. And I would say my mother is one of those statistics. She really didn't have a choice. And and I, I think it was very hard for her to leave. I mean, I go back and forth on that. Ma, why didn't you leave? And I, she did try. She did go to divorce lawyers. I remember this as a child. And I would go on her behalf and I was a young kid and because the situation was just unbearable, but she, she just stayed and she was a a victim. She still is a victim, unfortunately. Yeah, that's horrible. And I'm so sorry that you had to grow up in an environment like that in the first place. A lot of the times there's, there's trauma that comes from that for you. Did you see your relationships with men be affected? Did you have trust issues with men? I'm I'm really curious to hear how that impacted you and, and your future relationships with men. Yes, it most definitely impacted my relationships with men. I was very distrustful would be the, the correct word. And actually, I think because I had therapy in college and I used the therapists that were right on, on the college campus, so it was free. And uh, looking back now that I had a good amount of good men in my life, actually, dating uh, when I was going out. But I, I didn't trust that. 
it, it sounds weird, but I think because I had years of therapy and I, I knew what I didn't want, like I, and I knew what my father did. I didn't want that. I was smart enough to know that or, or maybe not in a fog, I guess, or that I, I said to myself, I don't want to end up like my mother. So as I was dating and, and going out and just having my experiences, I realized looking back now, wow, I had a good amount of good men in my life and I just didn't trust it though. I didn't give them enough credit or I, I would leave and I mean, obviously there were a few that they, they would be maybe a little bit controlling and I just would, would stop it right there. I would be like, goodbye. I would say, oh, this is, this is headed in a bad direction. I could see where this is going. So as soon as I felt controlled in any way, I would just disappear. So, but looking back, there were good men in my life and I, I just, I realize now, and I say this to people whenever in my business that you have to trust the good. And it's very hard to do that when you've had so much bad in your life because mm -hmm. then you just get used to bad. So anything that's good will feel foreign to you. It will feel very strange. I knew what I didn't want in a guy um, because mm -hmm. I, my father was the epitome, everything negative in every sense of the word, in every sense of the word. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a really good explanation. And I, I liked how you touched on a lot of key points there. In, in your sense of what you've seen either through research or through commonalities and the work that you do, what would you say is a, a big cause of that relationship of, of violence in men? Is it drinking, drugs, pornography? Like what would you say is a real common denominator of a lot of this type of behavior? I would say it's a number of factors, but the main one, the main one is how we raise our boys. So if you live in an environment, in a home environment where there is abuse, violence, chaos, dysfunction, or even on a lighter level, I don't, I don't want to say there is no such thing as a light level of violence or abuse, but if you hear in your household, maybe no one's beating the crap out of anybody. Maybe there's nothing uh, physically violent going on, but if you hear over and over, that women and girls are bitches, sluts, whores, tramps, sleazies, floozies, bimbos, bots, skanks, and all the other lovely titles that are given to us. Yeah. That will create hostility as you, as you date girls and then you are in adult relationships with women. If you see your dad, how your dad is treating your mom, and this goes for whether they're divorced or whether they are together, it really doesn't matter. It's how you see your, your mother and father, how they treat each other. And, and also other people in the family, your, maybe your aunt and uncle or your grandmother and grandfather. And I think what we do to our boys, it's actually very criminal because we tell them from a very young age, and it starts practically in the womb where we say things like, he's a boy and he's going to be a football player or, and then 
the the child the boy is born and already we start with stop crying like a girl don't throw like a girl stop being a sissy be a man man up and 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 these boys they're expressing themselves and right away we shut them up we don't allow them to cry we don't allow them to express their feelings unless it's anger and rage and a big component of this also is pornography we are in the United States the biggest consumers and producers of pornography. And pornography is 88.2% physical aggression towards women. Now, I I find that very alarming and I know of women, mothers or just people that I know in my life that actually give pornography to their sons to teach them about sex. And that is extremely detrimental, extremely scary. And, and then we wonder why boys, they become violent in their relationships, whether it be a casual relationship, whether it be they're dating someone, it's serious. And so it, it is extremely we have to be mindful of that. And please don't misunderstand me. As I say in my speaking engagements and my seminars and workshops, I'm not talking about sexual freedom. We are all for sexual freedom at Oso oh Safe. And pornography is the exact opposite of, of freedom. And there is something called, and I want to speak to your, your audience, especially if they are primarily men, there is something called a financial dominatrix. And in reality, she is a paid sex abuser. And I must mention this because this is a genre of pornography that I was, not that I wasn't aware of it. I mean, I, I knew about it. I, I knew what they did. But this is where the woman is, she is paid by her client, who is typically a guy, to sexually abuse him or to to verbally physically sexually abuse him and it's on camera and i find this very very disturbing because unbeknownst to me these women are very dangerous and they will stop at nothing to get what they want and men that become their client are also disturbed to a certain degree. And these women are, they are, if you think about it, what are they? They are humiliation experts. They expect their victims to obey. And it's in the word, in their title, financial dominatrix. What is an abuser? An abuser humiliates, they, they dominate, and they expect for their victims to obey. So I wanted to make a point to say that this is all tied in with pornography, with sex trafficking, with child sex trafficking. It's all related. And we really have to stay away from pornography. And where women are the abuser in, in a financial dominatrix situation, but she's the paid sex abuser, and these women, I can say, they are very dangerous and they infiltrate in our society. So mm -hmm. um, to all you men out there, you, you deserve better. You, you deserve to be in a good relationship just as much as the women are. 
This is not a healthy relationship. And like I said, this has nothing to do with sexual freedom. We are all for sexual freedom at Oh So Safe. It's not about that. But this is the opposite of freedom. Mm -hmm. No, and I I totally agree with that. And there's a lot of danger on on all sides out there, especially with pornography. And I actually had had a couple guests on. I've had a porn star on and I've had a porn addiction expert on. And it's interesting how the perspectives on you should really shouldn't use it as a educational aspect of of sex and i'm really against that using it as a as education myself because it's for me if young men are exposed to it from a really young age and they're seeing the type of vulgar violent stuff that you alluded to how 88.2 percent i think was the number you said and if they're watching at a younger age and then they're having a first sexual experience with a woman who's never seen it, they're being, those young women are being taught what's normal, what that violence is normal in those sexual experiences. And they don't really question it from the start. And so from that start of their sexual journey, they are learning that they are just there to please the man or to be dominated in a lot of ways, which is what I think is the really harmful part of, of a lot of that and especially using it as education. So I'm surprised that women use it as education for their, for their children. Cause I would have thought maybe it's more men having that conversation and men encouraging their kids, but you said it's, it's the mothers. I mean, I would say it's both. And I'm glad that you said that, that it should not be a part of any normal sex education for their children, but it, it, both of them, I would say, yes, fathers and mothers, or you even have the scenario where the father will give some pornographic material to their son and the mother doesn't say anything or will say something like, boys will be boys, and or I don't want my son to turn out gay, or I'd rather him look at porn. I mean, these are all, you're, you're really putting fuel to the fire of violence and you're, you're, I hate to sound the, you're asking for it for lack Mm -hmm. of a better phrase, you're asking for it where then these boys grow up. And like you said, Luke, they think that this is normal. And then maybe their girlfriend will think that this is normal where he acts like a pimp and she is his prostitute or she is prostituted to his friends And in pornography, that is a very common theme over and over again. So these are not healthy ways to express oneself sexually. And it is extremely detrimental on all ends, from all angles. So I'm glad that you you had people from the porn industry, if you will, on your show, because people have to get educated, especially with like I said, the financial dominatrix part of it, I, it's very disturbing, revolting, and it needs to become more where we talk about it more so that way people are aware. And it's all tied into tra- to trafficking, to child sex trafficking, bondage, uh, what is it, BDSM, bondage, domination, sadomasochism. Yeah, yeah, and... and- so I'm curious, in a lot of this conversation with domestic violence, 
and porn addiction, a lot of it seems to be men. But a lot of the time when it comes to these things, men are both the problem and the solution, which I know that you don't want to paint all men as bad. That's not what you're you're what you're doing at all. And and I don't think that either. How can men be the solution in a lot of these cases? What do you proclaim or, or say to these men that are looking to do better and looking to, I guess, change the violent part of themselves? If, if you work with both the abusers and the victim. Yes, if I may, we have products that we are bringing into the market to the real estate industry in, in residency, really, in just residency, whether you live in a, a townhouse, a co-op, a condo, a single-family home, a multi-family dwelling, whatever it is. And it's something called the Oso-Safe Home Sweet Home Package. And this is for landlords and tenants, where we do education. It, it consists of three main three main items, a policy, a seminar, and an app. So the app is the technology portion of it, but the policy and the seminar is the education portion of it. Where we go in and we don't wait for the violence to occur, what we do is on the preventative side, we're saying, look, have us come into your buildings where we educate everyone, whether it's new or existing tenants, and we educate them on facts, statistics, warning signs, definitions of abuse, the difference between abuse and discipline, just to name a few items. We go over aspects of pornography. We go over something called breaking the gender code. So where boys are educated whatever age they are, boys, teenagers, or adults, on what a healthy relationship consists of. And this also goes the same for women, for girls, what a healthy, a healthy nurturing relationship is. And you could have a one-night stand with someone. You shouldn't be judged as a whore or as a stud or whatever all those titles that I mentioned to you earlier in the interview, the labels, whether you have a one-night stand or you're in a relationship or you're dating or whatever the case may be, let yourself be free to experience what it is that you want to experience, but do not ever have that those experiences cross the line of abuse, of, of violence. So if, for example, for, for boys, we teach them that in order to become a man, you do not dominate women and girls at any point in time in your life. And the education needs to be, needs to be done early on. Now, when we do this education uh, in residency, obviously we have all different age groups in our audience, if you will, for tenancy. So there's adult males, adult females, there's uh, children. So we educate everyone and we, do, we divide everyone into groups and... So that way, okay, you live in my building. I'm your landlord. I promise to provide you a safe space for you to live. You, in turn, is my tenant. You promise to not act in any way, shape, or form that is abusive. Otherwise, you, the abuser, gets immediately evicted from the premises. So that way, this mitigates liability. You maintain property reputation. Your tenants feel safe. And... And you're fostering a culture of safety, nonviolence in your building. And the victims, the, the, yes, the victims, quote unquote, get to stay in the building, provided that they could still pay the rent. 
So we are marketing this to landlords and tenants. And I really believe that this will catch on in a big way, especially now that people are homebound and there has been such a huge spike in home violence and domestic violence ever since we have the, the stay at home orders. So homes must be safe now more than ever, because if you're homebound, well, you're with your abuser, where are you going to escape to? Whether it be male or female. Yes, 85% of all spouse murderers are male, but that's not to say that women don't abuse. And abuse is horrible no matter what gender the the abusive hand takes form. It, it, it's, it's horrible either way, especially for the children. So boys have to be taught very early on that this is not how you become a man and let it be okay that they cry let it be okay that they don't like football and we 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 do this education at schools universities and also in the workplace so concentrating in those three markets homes schools and workplaces so that way the information really really sinks in and it has to be a practice so the more that men practice safety and women for that matter, the more they will have better relationships. They will have self-respect. We have to practice self-respect. And, and that is something that has to be on the forefront of everyone's mind. Wow, I got taught the warning signs at the Oso oh Safe Home Sweet Home Seminar. And one of the warning signs is if, if I am... If anything is removed from my life, whether it be a friend or a family member or money, that's a warning sign that you are headed towards a very a bad relationship. So have the courage to leave, to, to stop the relationship and leave both men and women more worthy of having healthy relationships. I would say those are your best safeguards to for, for both men and women. Yeah. And you talked about being homebound, which is obviously a huge problem right now. I think I read statistics on the amount of domestic violence has gone up with COVID and being home. Have you seen that? I'm really curious to hear what you are seeing in your job, in your career at your company about how the home life is becoming violent right now, especially with everyone being home. Yes. If I'm not mistaken, domestic violence and I... I don't know if this statistic is nationally or on a global level, but it has risen something like 80%. I mean, that is extremely alarming. So there are more hotline calls, like domestic violence hotline calls than ever before. There is more uh, violence because these people, unfortunately, where are you going to hide? You cannot go to your local Dunkin' Donuts, if you will, if you, let's say you, you would hide out at a cafe or in the workplace longer. Maybe uh, you would stay there till 7, 8 o'clock. So that way your abusive husband or wife, they would go to their job at that point. So you really didn't run into them. So all of these factors come into play and... I would say now more than ever, we need to really make home safe, which is what we're doing at Oso oh Safe to make this a standard condition of residency right off the bat. Let's make this 
part of tenancy so that way people so that way everybody's responsible for everyone's safety the landlord the tenants the property managers the superintendent everybody's got to do their part it's a group effort i would say with covid it definitely has increased and we really need to do more and i feel like our the work that we're doing and the products and services that we're offering is very timely because for the first time we're making this a part of residency and i feel very badly for the children because the children are the ones that suffer the most and i was one of those kids it's very traumatic for a child to see dad beat up mom or mom beat up dad or or, or they're getting abused sexual abuse has increased it has really been detrimental all around so this is more reason why residency must become safer on a residential aspect and in every regard we can't just throw our hands up in the air and say oh it's a domestic dispute it's none of my business no it, it's it's everyone's business that's a great way of putting it how can people like how do you encourage people to get involved how do you encourage people because for myself fortunately i've never been a victim of home domestic violence how would you encourage someone like me or someone who's listening who doesn't really go through that to help their friends like a lot of the times i wouldn't even know who my friends are in a lot of this situation or or who's going through domestic violence but how would you say that people like me could support victims of this type of activity Yes, that's a very good question. Uh, on my website, ososafe.com, I have uh, a lot of the warning signs. So I would say anyone that's not that is not in a in a in an abusive relationship know what the warning signs are. A couple of them are if you see that your friend used to be one one personality, for example, they were outgoing, they were very talkative, they were they were spirited and then all of a sudden that started dropping where they internalize maybe they don't they don't go out as much that could be a signal or a warning sign that hmm, maybe they're in a bad relationship and you could start asking questions as simple as is everything okay i'm here i'm here for you i will listen to you and 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 nothing more is needed at that point in time because uh, at least they know that you're there and you're willing to listen. Another warning sign is if they're if they have a black eye and they're hiding it with sunglasses and there's no sun outside. I mean, they'll give you an excuse. Oh yeah, I fell and I I, I bumped into something and and you, you sense that wow that doesn't even sound right. That doesn't sound like the Sally that I always know or the the Tom that I always know you have to know Luke and and I, I speak to everyone that's not in an abusive relationship you are instrumental in this equation because you are what we strive to be what we need to be and by you being in good relationships you are already showing people that are in bad relationships that it's possible that wow 
I don't have to, it, it doesn't have to be this way where there's always doors being slammed and things being broken and being called a piece of garbage and being smacked. And, and the other day he pulled my hair and, and she just burned my hand with her cigarette and, and the kicking and the screaming and the police. So just by you being in a good relationship and expressing to your partner, look, I, I, I appreciate you. I want you to know that I'm here for you with your non-abusive partner. You are already setting the example for people that are in abusive relationships and to, and to be repetitive, say, I'm here for you. I, I, I want you to know that just in case, if anything is going on, you deserve better and really get us in their residency. Right now we're marketing our services to, to landlords and tenants. So get us in, into those buildings and just say, look, uh, I came across this, this the owner of Oso oh Safe and, and she doesn't single anyone out. No one is, no one in, in her seminars, oh, you must look like an abuser. You must, you must look like a victim. We do a blanket education for everyone. So that way, in case anyone in our audience is in an abusive relationship, they don't feel like they're alone. They don't feel that the responsibility of safety is all in their hands. They could feel like, oh, wow, I'm living in a building that is going to be also safe certified. He's not, he or she is not going to be able to get away with half the stuff that they've been getting away with because now it's a standard condition. So just by you being in a good relationship, you are setting an example, a huge example for people that need to see that and see that it is possible for them. Yeah. And that's, that's fantastic. One other question I have is a lot of the times people wonder why victims never leave. It's a question that I've asked myself a lot of times because I've had friends not in, not who were in a situation of domestic violence, but they were in like a uh, abusive relationship. Why, what is it? What is the psychology? What is the reason why people and women don't leave their men when it comes to these situations? I feel that they, if they are in a, in a, if they are in a situation like in residency, let's say they're married. I, I feel, and we had also said, we feel that you shouldn't leave. You're not the one that should leave. You're the victim. You should stay right where you are. Stay right where you are with the children, whether it's the it's the mother or the father or the, the husband or the wife or the ex-girlfriend and the ex-boyfriend, whatever the case may be. So if you're in a marriage or you just signed a lease somewhere and and you are the victim, you shouldn't leave. So that's how we feel at Oh So Safe. It's the abuser that has to leave. But the reason why people don't leave, there are 50 reasons, and I go over 50 reasons in my in my seminars and workshops and, and, and speaking engagements. Everything from money, money is a big factor. If your abuser is the breadwinner, the main breadwinner in your in your household, it makes it very difficult to leave, to just up and leave. And other reasons are for the children. My mother would say that all the time. My mother would say, oh, I can't leave. Where am I going to go? 
daddy is the one that makes the money and I don't know English and no one can help us. So that that's another big factor. If, if your abuser is the breadwinner for religious purposes, for children, for if they come from violence themselves, then, then they're used to it in a way. They, they say this is normal. The abuser is very good at manipulating and dominating their victims. So they make constant threats to their victims, whether it be the wife, the girlfriend, the husband, the, the boyfriend, especially the children. So people have to understand that when you are told every single day, you're a piece of garbage, you're not going to make it without me, I will kill you if you try to leave. I'm going to kill our children if you even think about leaving. I'm going to take the children if you even think about leaving. How are you supposed to leave when you're told that every single day, all day long, you're not going to leave. It's not that simple. If you or your abuser is a prominent figure, let's say you are a politician and you are in a homosexual relationship, that abuser can threaten, I'm going to out you to everyone and you will never be able to run for office again. You'll never be able to show your face in public again. So these are all tactics that abusers use to manipulate, dominate, and control their victims. So it makes it very hard to leave. And, and one statistic that I, I, I should mention, once a woman decides to leave, she is 75% more likely to be killed. So wow. if the odds are stacked that highly against you, would you leave? It doesn't, and then you have to, if you have children, it makes it a thousand times worse. Then you have to uproot your children. You're on the run like a refugee. And the shelters, I have to say, I know of one shelter that con the director confided in me. She said that they turn away at least a hundred women per year due to lack of funds, lack of resources, lack of spacing. So you have a woman who musters up the courage to finally go to a shelter and then she's turned away because they don't have the room, they don't have the space, they don't have the resources. She's as good as almost dead, I have to say, because she actually found the courage to go to a shelter and then she can't even stay there. So she's going to go back to where she is and, and and take it, for quote-unquote, for lack of a better phrase. And it, it's not easy to leave. So we, we educate people that that is not the route that, that we should be. This, that, that's not the, the mentality that we need to have in helping victims and in, in solving this, the epidemic of violence in the home. That's a horrific stat about... The fact that 75% more likely to be killed if they leave, and then it's worse with children. That's just a, a horrible statistic. I, I guess to round off the conversation, what do you think is the solution to a lot of this? You mentioned therapy for yourself. Is Do you think therapy and, and everyone should go through therapy? I'm really curious to hear what you think the, the grand scheme solution to a lot of this is. 
Yes, therapy, definitely. We are big proponents of, of therapy in any capacity, whether it be group or individual. And I, I want to say that in the beginning, you're, you're, you're going to go through some mind games uh, with yourself, like, why am I going? This is stupid. Uh, what if somebody finds out? How long do I have to go to therapy? What if uh, this doesn't work? I can't afford it. And that is all common resistance towards therapy. What I want to say is let those voices be in your head and go anyway. And not all therapists are created equal by far. There are so many therapists out there and you have to maybe try on a few for size in order to find the right fit for you. Let that be okay. Let that be okay. Like I said, I, I feel that the biggest solution is by combining education and technology. And we are doing this at OsoSafe. Oh so I'm hoping that the more podcasts that I do, the more momentum we will, we will have where we get into every residency and we provide the education. And we don't wait for violence to happen because people then, because this is on a preventative scale that we have to be, where everyone is educated, everyone signs a policy, and everyone is responsible for their own safety. And this makes for good residency all around for the landlord, for tenants. Yes, therapy is part of the, of our program for sure, because you can't do this alone. There is no way as a victim or even a non-victim that you can solve the problems that that just in your daily life, you cannot solve these problems by yourself. And there is no shame in getting help. There is shame in not getting help, as we say. And this has to be a practice loop. Like we have to practice safety. For example, when when you're dating someone, and you run into a problem, you are maybe, and it's it's communication, it's a lack of communication, maybe something got misunderstood. This is a practice. We have to practice nonviolence, practice. You're going to fight with your significant other. You're going to have arguments. That's normal, but it should never cross the line of abuse, not physically, not verbally, not sexually, ever. There's no excuse for that. So we like to say that this is an ongoing practice that everyone has to has to adopt in their daily lives. If your kid comes home and they want to tell you that they're gay, the the option is not to beat them up. You you don't want to verbally disparage them. You don't want to beat them up. You don't want to attack them. You want to be able to handle this in the most mature, loving, understanding, compassionate way possible. So these are all aspects of family life that occur. And and we have to practice safety on a regular basis. Amazing. 
And I think that's a great way to leave the conversation. But Sabrina, I, I want to give you some time to tell people where they can find you on social media, on website. I know you have a, t- a TED Talk too. It's amazing. I recommend everyone go check it out. I'll leave it in the description below. Um, but where can people find you and connect with you to, to learn more about Oh So Safe and the work that you're, you're continuing to do? Yes, my website is ososafe.com. That's O-S-S-O and then the word safe, S-A-F-E dot com. Uh, my email address is sabrina at ososafe.com. I'm on all the major social media platforms, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Alignable, Instagram, and a few others that is slipping my mind right now. But And I, I am I, I am working on on a children's book, actually, but it's premature to talk about that. But I will have that on my website when it does come out. And then all of my products and services are on my website. It's just so important that people need to realize abuse is not to be a part of anyone's life, of anyone's residency, period, over and out. So we need to really get that drilled into our psyche, in our DNA, and, and to make sure that we never cross that line in, in any regard whatsoever. Beautiful. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me here today. It was a pleasure to, to have you on talk about domestic violence. I know it's a heavy topic. Thank you for sharing your story, how we can con- continue to improve, what some of the signs are, and just continue to build a society of healthier men and families and homes. So I appreciate everything that you're doing. And thank you very much. Thank you, Luke. Thank you very much. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode of The Imperfect Pod. If you would like to find out more about today's guest, you can go to her website, ososafe.com, watch her TED Talk, or visit her on any of her social medias. As always, all these links are in the description below. Again, if you enjoyed the episode, it would mean the world to me if you press the follow button, subscribe button, or left a review. It only takes about 30 to 60 seconds. And if you would like to discuss today's topic, please feel free to message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod. Connect with me uh, at my email, luke at theimperfectpod.com, so that we can continue this conversation. Next week's episode is going to be a great show on a reformed prisoner and how men's groups are doing fantastic work in the prison system. So it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating conversation. 